Welcome. You are listening to Conversations from Christchurch Cranbrook. We are a faith community located in Metro Detroit who have been transformed by God's acceptance, love, and grace. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith today, we pray this podcast will feed your soul and inspire your spirit. And just so you know, you'll see people filing in and um, we're going to start in just a few minutes. We're grateful for all of you who are joining us. We're just giving everybody a chance to come in and, and get themselves situated. Good that you could have the dog there, Richard. It's going to be important. <laughs> no, I can mute up. No, I'm just teasing. FedEx man came. Excellent. Excellent. Coming with Amazon. <laughs> well, all of the church's uh, deliveries uh, come to my door now, and uh, so I never know what it's going to be. It's um, uh, in a, you know, so we're still climbing just a bit, folks. We're going to get started in just a few minutes. We're going to give everybody a chance to get on because if we get started too soon, um, we tend to not get everybody in. So what I see at the top of my thing, it says live on YouTube. Yeah, you are live. We are live and we're recording. But I just write down, if, if you look at the participants, we've got about 70 have come in. And I think we'll actually get started with that. Um, I want to say how grateful I am to have these wonderful business leaders here and for this incredible opportunity for us to uh, speak about the effects of COVID-19 on our local businesses. Uh, if you're like me, you see a number of people who speak about this on, on uh, uh, networks and, and, and other kinds of um, uh, forums. And they typically, typically are people who are economists or have a kind of an arm's length um, uh, relationship with the economy. Um, and what we have done in this uh, webinar is we've asked uh, people who are dealing with incredibly uh, challenging um, environments uh, incredibly well. And so I'm grateful for each of our, our panelists today. Um, we are, I'm going to go around and introduce everybody to you all. Uh, I know that some of you are still coming in, but I'm just going to keep going. We're really great. I'm really grateful and really honored to have uh, Paul Glantz with us, who is the co-founder and chairman of Imagine Entertainment, which is based in Troy, Michigan, and has 11 world-class entertainment venues, and also has uh, changed the game in many ways uh, for the industry of, of cinema. Um, and he's been at the forefront of not only providing a um, excellent <coughs> digital and, and, and um, uh, cinemagraphic presentations, but also an incredibly comfortable and entertaining environment for people, as well as being an incredible corporate citizen and doing um, uh, wonderful work in the community. Uh, I can't think of an industry that can teach people who uh, hold large, ga large gatherings like uh, pastors do uh, more than you, Paul. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we also have Jason. My pleasure. You're welcome. We also have Jason Politeer, who is the um, Community and Economic Development Market Manager for Fifth Third Bank. 
and is responsible for Michigan, Chicago, and Indiana. Uh, and then this role, he oversees the bank's regional compliance with the Community Reinvestment Act and cultivates community partnerships and execu executes community um, development strategies. Uh, Jason, we are so grateful to have you with us. And I should mention the fact that we know each other as board members of an incredible organiza organization called Samaritas, which does work in uh, senior living and affordable housing and refugee resettlement and foster care and other wonderful uh, works in, uh, throughout Michigan. So thank you so much for being with us, Jason. Thank you, um, Pastor Bill. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. And we are really um, honored to have uh, the next uh, three people are members of Christ Church Cranbrook, and I am proud of my relationship with each of them and the relationship they have with our wonderful church. We have Stephen Polk, who is the CEO of Highgate LLC, a private investment company in Birmingham, Michigan. And uh, throughout his career, Stephen has been an incredible uh, uh, advocate and, 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 uh, and catalyst for helping businesses achieve maximum results. He was elected president of the Polk organization in 1990. He added the title of chief operating officer two years later and, and in 1994 was chairman and, chief, uh, and CEO of uh, Polk and Company. Um, and then uh, was uh, a, a, at the helm when the, when the, uh, the business was uh, sold in July, uh, 2013. Um, it, Stephen Polk is not only a venture capitalist, he's also an incredible uh, philanthropist in Detroit. And I am so very proud to know him and to, so very grateful for his insight uh, in all the good work that he does. Um, and then finally, we have, we have also Richard Brody as well. And Richard is the, um, the, the, the CEO and president and owner of Wyco Metal Products. Um, he also is, uh, uh, in, in, Wyco is involved in uh, Michigan, Mexico, and Canada, and he also is uh, on the, uh, the, does incredible philanthropic work uh, through uh, many different organizations in Detroit. Richard, it's always wonderful to have you with us, and, and thank you for being here. And then uh, we thank have Linda, Linda Jacob, who is the co-owner of Kowalski Companies, which is a manufacturer for foods and particularly sausages. Um, I have to say, Linda, of the people that uh, I've met when I would tell them about this webinar with the exclusion of a couple of people who are real business insiders, the minute I said I was having Kowalski sausage, uh, the person who owns that, they, they just lit up because they knew your product and they, and they had it, held it in such high esteem and we are so grateful to have you with us. Um, I want to begin by a couple of things just to get everybody situated with the, the purpose of, of this uh, consultation tonight, this webinar tonight. Um, we all have, um, uh, we've all seen that there have been some uh, strong opinions around uh, the economy and when to work and, and how to handle this, this, um, this shelter in place order that the governor has put in place. And our goal tonight is to have an actually non-aligned conversation about uh, economics and business. And the reason why we want to do that is because this is something that concerns us all. And um, as I was mentioning to the, uh, 
the, the uh, panelists before we began, um, I had a special insight into this and in that I grew up uh, the grandson of someone who ran a small uh, company, a construction company. And uh, I was with my grandfather one day uh, getting some gravel. We, he continued to be active after his retirement. And somebody uh, came up to him and said, uh, are you Ted Zoli, my grandfather's name? And then said to him, uh, you gave my father a job in the depression and I just wanna shake your hand. And um, that was probably one of the proudest days of my life. And uh, I learned a great lesson in that moment, which is that there is a kind of sacred work that is done when any of us uh, works hard and gives people a job and helps them to thrive and helps them to achieve their dreams. And uh, it also gave me a window into the nature in which every, every time we work in an economy and every time we hold a job and every time we do a job well, um, we do a service not only for ourselves, but for others. And um, all of these uh, panelists uh, know this uh, intimately, and I want to give an opportunity for people to see and to enter into the challenges they face, uh, particularly in light of this pandemic, and also the kinds of ways they're going to have to adapt in order to lead their companies and their products into the future. Um, as you'll see, everybody in this, uh, on this panel um, has um, a, a challenging environment in which they're trying to operate. And we're going to ask each of them three questions. The first question is, is how has COVID-19 affected your industry? Uh, what um, are you doing to adapt to those changes? And um, also finally to finish your remarks with a story of, of resiliency. What helps you continue to take the risks you need to take or to do the kind of work you need to do? What do you pull from when you think about things, when you face challenging circumstances? Uh, and the first person that's gonna speak tonight is Jason. Thanks, Pastor Bill. And thank you again for this opportunity. Thanks for the invite to have this discussion with these esteemed panels, panelists tonight. So for uh, us at Fifth Third Bank, more than anything, it has affected the ways in which uh, we interact with our clients, our partners, uh, and the community members at large. Uh, when, the, when the shelter in place order was uh, lifted or given in mid-March, uh, many of our team members were uh, asked to work from home. And many of our team member, members were fortunate enough to be able to work from home. Um, and and what, that, what that gave us was an opportunity to uh, really protect not only our team members and our clients, um, but also to protect our families from this unseen uh, unknown threat that that had crept into our lives and so one of the things that I'm proud of at Fifth Third um, is from the very beginning we knew that we had to connect with our client base and so uh, as you may well know we're we're located in 10 states headquartered in Cincinnati um, and so we reached out to over a million of our clients proactively reached out to over a million of our clients that asked what were they dealing with? How could we help? 
Um, in addition to that, we propped up a $9 million philanthropic uh, fund in order to respond to emergency situations for organizations that help at-risk communities around our footprint. We restructured our staff and protocols to manage the CARES Act and the PPP loans through the SBA uh, for small businesses in the space. We um, took our branches to drive-through only uh, and appointment in the branches, appointment setting in the branches for people who needed to, for customers who needed to interact face-to-face -face, uh, with our team members in those, in those offices. And we set up, uh, we, we, from what we heard from our clients, uh, we, we wanted to make sure that we did not uh, um, repeat some of what we saw in the economic downturn of 2008-2009. Uh, and so we set up hardship assistance immediately across the board from consumers to commercial clients so that, uh, so that they know that we're there for them and that we would help them. We're all in this together, right? And so we wanted to make sure that we walked through this uh, with, our, with our clients. Some of the things that, that gives me uh, hope and resilience uh, for the future have been um, just the sheer number of, there, there, there's, there's many, <laughs> there's many, many stories that, that I can pull from, uh, from the frontline essential workers who, you know, regardless of the shelter in place order, had to show up to work every day and have continued to do that uh, through, this, through this lockdown. The complete shift in operations, particularly uh, major fundraising activities, which I uh, happen to work with as a matter of course, which literally had to turn on a dime uh, but has but has continued to um, that the organizations that were affected by those have continued to show uh, extreme agility uh, during this time. And so, uh, one that stands out for me and Paul and I, Pastor Bill, you talked about you and I serving on Samaritans together. So I know Paul Glance. I knew Paul Glance before this. Uh, before this interaction, because we served on the board of Cleaners Community Food Bank together. And almost as if they had a crystal ball, as the coronavirus began to cre creep its way into the United States, we were getting, as a board, we were getting almost daily updates from the food bank on their preparation to respond uh, during this crisis. And Almost as soon as the schools closed, within a couple of weeks, Gleaners, uh, in co collaboration and partnership with Forgotten Harvest, set up more than more than sixty plus uh, food distribution uh, locations, so that folks who uh, who saw food or who would now see food insecurity as a thing didn't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about that because the food banks got to work early. And, and you may know that in this, in this uh, area, 
they have been fierce competitors in the past. And so today, seeing them work together so closely has been just uh, an eye-opener and a thing of uh, pure joy for me. Our team members showing up day in and day out despite the anxiety and uncertainty around this unseen threat uh, to their very lives. Uh, our team members who put in the countless hours and helped with putting systems in place to field more than 30,000 customer applications for payroll protection program loans. And in that, I don't think I heard a one, even one complaint uh, regarding the number of hours that went into setting that up. And that was for the first round. In the second round of PPP, we increased our capacity to process more loans. We started out with 300 bankers that could support this endeavor, and now we have more than 1,500 working to ensure that uh, our small businesses in the region and around, the, around our footprint uh, are served. So by the time the SBA reopened the portal, you know they ran out of money the first time around. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by the time they reopened the right by the time they reopened the portal we had more than 18,000 applications ready at the ready to go uh, and take advantage of that assistance and with more than 150 billion that's billion with a b uh remaining in capacity in that program we continue to fill applications and to date we've assisted more than 31,000 small businesses, all with, uh, well, about 85% of those with less than 50 employees. And so we are, um, we're working to make sure that our small businesses, our consumers and our communities are well taken care of uh, during this time of crisis. Because let's face it, we're all in this together. I really appreciate that. And I did have the chance to work um, for a day with Forgotten Harvest. And I have to say the incredible agility for the people in food insecurity uh, have been, has been awe-inspiring to see how they managed to keep us all involved and to do what we can. Um, our next, our, I'm gonna turn it right over to Linda um, and ask her the, to answer those three questions. What, how, is thing, how are things affected and what adaptations are you making and what gives you hope or resilience? Okay, so for us, I think it's, you know, the start of this whole pandemic is a little different um, because we were considered an essential business. So from the beginning, we really had to communicate with our staff, um, give them exactly what they needed to know. Um, it's a little bit different in our field because um, cleaning and sanitizing, we know that inside and out. Um, that's part of day one training. They clean and sanitize the plant from top to bottom. I mean, you literally can eat off the floor. So I think that's been an advantage for us in that sense of people knowing how to wash their hands, understanding what certain PPE is already. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing for us in the beginning was, um, the, the first part was all the retail stores needing food. So we worked seven days um, for a couple of weeks. And then since then, we've had supply chain issues. Um, so now because our suppliers are having issues with 
having people come to work or things like that. Um, that has become an issue for us right now where every day we're hoping that we get in the supplies that we need. Um, but so far, thank goodness, we've been able to, you know, continue production. Um, and, you know, we haven't had to, luckily, um, everybody's working, everybody's been safe. Um, but it's a constant communication to everybody knowing, you know, what you need to do to keep yourself safe, to keep everybody else in the building safe. Um, I think that looking forward, one of the things that is going to be something that we know we're going to need to do is more cross training on specific positions because if you're the least bit sick, I don't want you coming to work. Um, you know, we do work closely together. So, you know, I, I think most people probably imagine, you know, in making food, you are close. So, you know, we, we've been very specific on if you're sick, don't come to work. There's not a negative effect to because of your attendance. You know, we want to keep everybody safe. We want to keep everybody healthy. Um, you know, that that's the biggest thing. And I'm really proud of our workforce for doing that so far. Um, you know, we are in Hamtramck, um, very close to Detroit. So I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, like Jason said, are nervous. Um, you know, but that's why you have to talk. You have to talk to each other. You have to, you know, actually talk about your fear and find out, you know, what is it that we can do to make you feel more comfortable? Um, so it's, you know, and, you know, we've had people that, I mean, I've had a phone conversation with an employee who said, you know, she was very fearful and, you know, she made some suggestions of to what we could do. Great, let's institute it. So, you know, talking with everybody, listening to other suggestions of people, um, I think that's a really important thing that everybody needs to do going forward. Um, you know, for, for, you know, my brother and I, you know, this was supposed to be a very celebratory year for us. It is our 100th anniversary. And unfortunately, this is not the year you want to have a 100th anniversary because the celebrations you were going to have, which was supposed to be last weekend, um, was canceled. So, um, you know, th those are the things that, you know, so our great grandparents started this business. And, you know, obviously, you know, we can look back over history of, you know, the depression. We found writings where there was times when the company went into receivership. Um, you know, but you want to continue to persevere. And even in this, you know, this whole pandemic, I had a lady who, you know, works for us and she had her own health issues and she was sick in the very beginning of this. She ended up having pneumonia, which, okay, bad enough, but, you know, she ended up needing the time to take off. But I talked to her on a weekly basis to make sure she was okay. She had her test, which came back negative, And she kept saying to me, I need to come back to work. I want to come back to work. I need to work. And that to me is such an important part of what we do. You know, and, and I, I say, you know, our family over the years has supported, it's not a thousand employees, but it could be a thousand families, you know, over a hundred years that we've supported. And I think that that's one of the really big things that we have to realize by get, you know, keeping people working, getting people to work, that's what's gonna propel us forward past this. Um, 
And I do think that this has taught me too, people do wanna work, even though sometimes they call off, they do wanna work. So um, I'm hoping that that's one of the things that we see going forward is, you know, people say, okay, well, it's been great to stay home, but I need to work. I like to work. I like to interact with people. I can see that what I do makes a difference. You know, those are really the important things that, that we have to get across to, to, you know, everybody, you know, in the community. Well, I, and I have to say, congratulations. I pass that on from one of our, our uh, members of the audience. Congratulations on a hundred years. Uh, for those of you who are um, uh, here, you'll see that we have an opportunity for you to put some, um, any kinds of, um, any kinds of comments in the, in the uh, chat box that we'll try to interact with. We also have, if you look at the Q&A, you can click on that and you can type a, a question and they'll come to us and then we'll get to, um, we'll get to those. Uh, we want to make sure we give everybody a chance to speak for a bit. Um, and then we'll turn to the questions and answers, but feel free to throw them up while, while they come up and so they stay fresh. I do want to say, uh, Linda, uh, what I told you recently, um, I, I actually, be, in, in preparation for this webinar, because I am an assiduous researcher, I tried every one of the Kowalski products, and uh, it's just an amazing product, and I really do. I, I thought your smoked kielbasa out of this world, and uh, I, I am a true foodie, and I have to say it's, it's dynamite. It's a delicious thing, and so thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing and facing you know, the issues around supply that you mentioned and all and caring for your employees. Our next, uh, our next panelist is Richard Brody. And uh, Richard, why don't you um, uh, interact with these questions? The, uh, uh, how has COVID-19 affected um, what you're doing and what kind of adaptations are you doing and what gives you resilience? Um, you're just, we're gonna make sure you're unmuted. Yeah, I'm unmuted. Yeah, the first two two weeks of March were the biggest two weeks in the history of our company, and we were looking forward to uh, you know a banner year. Uh, needless to say, uh, the middle of March that that was over, and uh, we had no choice but to close up because of the uh, you know the governor's rules or whatever they were, and we did, and we used that opportunity to have people that come in if they did wanted to on a voluntary basis and scrub and clean the factories, all of them, um, like they've never been before. Uh, some of our customers were, were continued working, but it was just like dribs and drabs. So we had to have some people around, but it was all on a voluntary basis. Uh, as, as far as uh, uh, the adaptations that we need to make, well, there were many. Uh, I saw one this morning that kind of surprised me. The uh, receptionist had two cans, one with uh, pens in it that said new and one with pens in it that said used so that they could only be used once for visitors. So that's the, the degree of which we've uh, insisted upon putting all the practices that make any sense into keeping everybody safe. Now, the, the, the good thing is the automobile companies are back up. I, I make uh, miscellaneous parts for most of the automobile companies. And uh, so that's given us a, a big encouragement. Now it's gonna ramp up slowly, but we think that uh, 
uh, June will be about 75% of uh, where it should be. The, 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 the things that drive us are, or me particularly, are the, to look after the people. Um, uh, everybody got their pay, uh, the full pay, and uh, anybody that worked certainly got their full pay. Many employees chose not to work and go on unemployment, uh, essentially for the reason that uh, some of them only made uh, $18, $20 an hour. And uh, if they were on unemployment with the $600 bonus, you know, they were making equivalent of, uh, you know, $25 an hour. And, uh, but uh, we asked everybody to come back last Monday and out of 450 people, there's only 20 that chose not to come back. And uh, when they come back, they do lose their unemployment. But we got a great esprit de corps in the company. Uh, all the employees have the same health care that my wife and I have. We treat everybody the same. Anybody with a special issue, if they would let it be known, they're more than welcome to come and get some extra assistance from us. And it's the people, it's the people that inspire all of us um, to keep going. And it looks like it's gonna turn around, unlike eight and nine, when it was an unknown commodity, whether you were gonna go broke or not, of which uh, I damn near did. Now, under the circumstances today, um, it's just a huge bump in the road, but we're on our way back and we're owe everything we have to the employees. One of the things that I, I uh, enjoy about being the rector of Christchurch Cranbrook is I get to visit people in their place of work and I've got the opportunity to walk with you through your factory, Richard, and to see your interactions with your employees and the fact that you know their names and you know uh, who they are and they know you and they and their interactions with you is one of the great uh, one of the great blessings I've had uh, because obviously you you, um, you you run a very special company. Yeah, well, there's not one of them that uh, I wouldn't call a friend. Um, it's it's uh, it's my life. It's my life. I've probably got more love over there than I do with my family if they're not sick. <laughs> uh, it's my life. It's what I'm going to do until they carry me out of there in a wood box. Anyway, and, thank you, Bill, for having me. Well, we're pleased. And now let's turn to, to Paul. And um, this is an incredible um, uh, uh, opportunity to hear from you because we have so much to, to, to learn from, from where you are and how much study you've put into how to bring people uh, together. Well, thank you, Pastor Bill. Uh, indeed, we are completely and utterly out of business. Uh, although the good news for us is that uh, we have one of our 11 theaters in the state of Wisconsin, and we'll be reopening that one next Monday. In fact, uh, it'll give me the opportunity to uh, do what I consider to be essential travel and leave the state of Michigan to uh, welcome our guests back up there. It's uh, it's been a challenging time for us, of course. Um, I don't think any of us could have necessarily seen this coming. <clears throat> uh, concurrently, you know, it's times like this that I think help 
build character and demonstrate character. And much like, you know, Richard spoke so glowingly about the folks that work for him, we have some wonderful teammates at Imagine. And I would respectfully submit that it's not the chairs, it's not the, you know, the caramel corn, it's, it's, it, it may, those may help tangentially, but ultimately, and this is a, a soft skill and one that some folks say, you can't necessarily count on this, but I, I believe it's our teammates that make the difference. In fact, uh, I maintain the adage that the single most important characteristic to be a good imagined teammate is to have empathy for our guest experience. We're endeavoring with every single guest to give them an exemplary out-of-home experience. And so with that in mind, we needed to be very careful in how we treated our, our teammates during this period of time. And so, you know, you can imagine we employ a lot of high school kids and the high school kids are, you know, back home with their folks for the most part. And uh, we also looked at our managerial team, which is critically important to us. And we want to keep our assembled workforce together, notwithstanding, you know, the challenges we're facing. And so we made the decision to continue to provide our health insurance benefits to all of the folks who were participating in our health plan. And instead of asking our teammates to help contribute to that plan, we've paid 100% of their health insurance during this uh, period that uh, we've been closed. Wow. In candor, we were very fortunate to go into this in better financial shape than I think uh, some of our industry peers had been. And as a result, we were in a position to be able to weather the storm a little bit better than others. Uh, concurrently, we've been blessed to be working with some wonderful bankers and creditors. We were able to uh, pay all of our payables on time. And, uh, and so thankfully, we had the liquidity to be able to weather this event. And that's why I have great optimism that we'll be back. When we come back and the adaptations that we're making will be to of course, institute the, uh, the, the anticipated social distancing requirements. And so as I was sharing with uh, the panel before we started, we have software that allows folks to buy their tickets online. And so we'll be going to a lot more of that. We expect that most people will now buy their seats on the internet, they'll be using their own smartphone. And the way the software has now been programmed, there will be two seats available between every group of related guests. Now, in the case of Jason and his family uh, with 12, I don't think it'll quite work <laughs> because we didn't provide for groups of 12 to be, you know, all related. But, but Jason, if you call me, we'll make special arrangements for you and your family, okay? Yeah, and this is for those of you who are watching, Jason has uh, 10 children, uh, uh, and that's an incredible number. Uh, but, uh, and um, yeah, maybe that, that area right after, you know, right in the very front row, you always have that space. You could have everybody there, the whole family could just take We can give the Palatier family the entire row of cuddle chairs. <laughs> the there you go. Chairs. That's it, yes. The cuddle chairs. And, uh, and they'll be just fine. They're all socially distant. But, you know, um, and a lot of folks uh, don't really appreciate this. Oftentimes, the government strikes with what I call a blunt instrument. And, and that is what, honestly, I fear most with uh, respect to our reopening protocols, because when we went to reclining chairs, we literally lost two thirds of our seat count to begin with. So now to simply say, well, you've got to, you can only uh, fill your auditorium to 25% of capacity, 
you know, that would be 16% of our initial capacity. So we're, uh, we think we instituted social distancing in our theaters before the term was even coined, certainly physical distancing, because we have seven feet of row spacing between each uh, row of chairs. And when you institute two empty chairs on uh, each side of folks, uh, there'll be a lot of room. And, and we want to do that because we know it's difficult to uh, eat popcorn and enjoy your soda uh, while you're wearing a mask. So we want to create the proper distancing there. In terms of, you know, stories of resiliency, you know, my own personal story, honestly, is one where I did not come from a money background. My, uh, my dad was a transit truck driver. My mom worked before most moms worked. And, uh, you know, I'm only here today and have the, the good fortune to be, you know, leading a large business through the kindness of others. And folks have entrusted their capital to us over the years. And I've taken the responsibility of shepherding their capital very carefully and, 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 and taking the, the responsibility very seriously. You know, I, I say that, uh, that that's what's enabled us to have 103 investors today, all of whom who have placed their trust in us and continue to be strong supporters even during this difficult time. But it's my responsibility to those investors, those people who've entrusted, entrusted their hard-earned money that keeps me going because I have an obligation to those people and I take that very seriously indeed. We've been through challenging times before. I can tell you that uh, going back to when we first opened our theater in, in the Detroit area, Imagine Novi, we had a film buying problem that uh, precluded us from securing all the feature films. It was a really difficult time because we had 18 screens and half of the feature films. I had a film buyer at the time that said to me, Paul, there's nothing you can do about it. <clears throat> and I told Steve, who was a wonderful man, still is a great guy, I said, Steve, you may be entirely right, but you know what? I have a fiduciary obligation to these folks and I have to try to get all the films or else we'll never make an economic success of this for our investors. And it took a lot of hard work, a lot of perseverance, but lo and behold, two and a half years later, we were able to persuade Hollywood that we were uh, acting in their best interests as, as well by trying to enhance the quality of movie going in Southeast Michigan. And so knowing that we've had the means and the intestinal fortitude, the support of our investors to come through difficult times before, I feel greatly emboldened. In fact, I'll tell you that I've never been so busy, and it's, it's, it's hard to imagine, you're out of business, but I've never been so busy in my business life than I am right now. Mm -hmm. And part of it mm -hmm. stems from the fact that, that as a businessman, I believe that you believe that values are either such that you're a seller or you're a buyer. Well, we're certainly not a seller at today's value, but I can tell you this, we have a, a, a competitor that declared bankruptcy at the world's worst time, just before the shutdown occurred, and we are actively pursuing the acquisition of that business as we speak. Wow, that's incredible. And wow. The one thing I, before I turn to Stephen, um, uh, I wanna do a quick fact check. Uh, what I, you know, I, I've seen this bandied about that there was some, uh, work that was done on marketing and, and cinemas uh, that that said through some polling said that about 50% of the people were going to return as soon as the cinemas open they were going to return to the cinemas because they loved the experience and then the, the next 30% or so we're going to hang back and see how those 50% did 
Um, and then there'd be about 20% that it's going to take a long time for them to finally get to the position of trust where they um, are able to go back to something like a cinema or, or I might say a church. Is there any validity that that statistic? It's just been something that's been cited over and over and over again. And I figure you would know better than anybody else. That's my question, Pastor. Yes. I think it's spot on. I think there are folks who um, uh, believe that you have to live your life and, uh, and they're, they're up for it and they'll be back because they yearn like I do to a return to normalcy. And then I think it's right that there'll be folks that are more fearful and concerned about their health conditions. And by the way, I would defend someone's right to remain sheltered in place if they have a comorbidity factor or if they feel like their health is in jeopardy. Nonetheless, we will do our absolute best to demonstrate to our guests that we will protect their health at all costs. Great, thank you so much. I just wanna do a quick follow-up. Stephen, can you speak to these three questions? I, I sure can, Father Bill. Thank you for having me on this panel with you. Um, I think, first of all, I probably have the smallest op office operations. I've got seven employees in my office currently. And, uh, we are all working hard, but we're working from home. And I think that's been one of the revelations that this whole uh, COVID has brought to us is the changing and flexibility that we have to work in different solutions. It doesn't mm -hmm. help people like Paul that are dependent on people coming in, but many, many jobs are finding that they don't need to be in the office anymore. I know the banks are seeing that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, adaptation has been remarkable to see how people are changing. When you go out and go to the grocery store, obviously we're learning that we can still get what we need. Thank you, Linda. Um, <laughs> we can still find people out and about, some of them very fearful clearly, um, some of them almost carelessly not. So there's a whole breadth of experience that you're seeing when you're out there. Um, but I, I think the thing I've learned most is um, we're very adaptable creatures. Um, people are wonderfully adaptable to get what they need to go forward and to keep striving to try and get what they need for their families. Um, what we certainly hope the outcome coming through this, this is a, going to be a story of resilience. Um, we, we need to come back. We need to get back to work. We need to get back in stores and trying to keep things, a sense of normalcy as they're people striving for. Um, we certainly learned a few tools that we haven't had before. Um, I think one of the things that's been remarkable to me is uh, how connected we've been able to stay with things like this Zoom broadcast you've got going tonight for us. Um, actually, we've done more Zoom communications with my entire family than um, we've ever done phone calls in the past. I think it's actually done a lot to bring people together, which is certainly going to be one of the salvations we have coming for it. Um, at the same time, I think looking through this coming out of it, we're, we're really going to have to be focused on the people that are going to come through this without their jobs intact. Um, I think that's one of the biggest economic challenges we're going to face and, and certainly the biggest unknown. Um, it, the unknown is really huge at this point in time still in my mind. Uh, for our business, uh, I'm not sure whether we'll be all back in the office at the same time before the end of the year yet. Um, I'm not sure we have to be. So that probably doesn't change the outcomes for us, but not everybody can say that. Um, the unknowns are going to be uh, quite something to keep up with. 
there are a couple of things that I would the follow up with you, Stephen. You know, you took over uh, your your company at 29, and uh, of of the people that I would say has learned adaptability, adaptability and adaptive leadership, you would be at the the forefront of that list. Can you? What kind of lessons did you learn becoming the CEO at 29, and then taking a largely paper-based business and moving it into a digital platform? Well, I, the first thing you have, you have to learn is you got to be flexible and you got to learn to adapt. No business can stay the same forever. Um, our business at our Poking Company was 100 and, well, be 140 years old, 150 years old this year. Um, and while I sold it, for very good reasons, mostly because I was the only family member in the state of Michigan to continue the business long-term wasn't a really viable option for us. Um, changing and adapting and use of technology were what allowed us to prosper. Um, you're absolutely right. The business originally was hardbound paper directories and where we ended up with products like Carfax used vehicle history reports and um, a database that could help the automotive manufacturers take care of all their recall problems um, was a very different world, but it, it was all information. So we had a core theme that we stuck with. Um, I guess today, uh, I'm glad I have six people working for me, not 1600, but that's just a personal situation. Um, being adaptable is what it's gonna take for every business to thrive going forward. And I, that will probably never change. I don't think it ever has. What, in turning to the rest of you, I mean, one question that's come up that I think is uh, excellent is, um, he, he, you know, he want, the question is by um, Pat Gaiman, a wonderful leader in the church, and he says, what, does the what do you think that the future holds uh, for us? What are they going to be the challenges that you're going to have to encounter that are going to be lasting in terms of how we are gathering uh, and how we are how we are doing our work, and and I guess that to, to sharpen that somewhat, um, I think all of us. One one uh, economist I used to read a little bit of is a guy named Knight, who was at the University of Chicago, and he uh, came up with um, a good estimation of transition costs, and it's something that most people don't factor in when they are running a business. They they think about what they're doing and they think about what they're gonna do but they actually don't think about the transition costs. And that's where most, most businesses run into problems is it's actually they can't pivot and they can't change and they can't adapt um, uh, quickly enough. And, they, and it's expensive to adapt. You know, and for, I think for most businesses, it's uh, the personal protection equipment, for example, or the protocols. And something that maybe Paul, you can speak more to is the 20 hours of training that you're gonna have to give to your employees uh, per person to be able to make sure that the theaters are are safe and sound. Yes, uh, we um, of course want to follow all the OSHA guidelines and, and, and we kept on all of our managerial team during this uh, shutdown and we did the things that I call uh, but if I ha only had time projects and so folks going back to our theaters will find them to be immaculate and we've always prided ourselves in, in maintaining cleanliness, though candidly, none of us bat a thousand. So uh, it, it certainly is a point of pride with us to, that we'd always endeavored to, to offer the, the most clean and hygienic facilities available in the marketplace. 
But going forward, all of our teammates will be wearing masks. They're going to undergo 20 hours of training uh, on the virus and how to protect the public. We're gonna be taking the temperatures of every teammate as they arrive. They're gonna be filling out a health questionnaire. Uh, just like uh, others have said, when someone doesn't, Linda wouldn't have brought it up. If you're not feeling well, we certainly don't want you to come to work. We'll call off, we'll, we'll find some way to uh, serve our guests, call in others. And then, um, and then ultimately we will uh, offer social distancing. We're going to be putting uh, markers, markers on the floor. We're going to be uh, increasing the use of technology to, to minimize the touch points. So for example, one of the things that we're working on feverishly right now is enhance the quality of our smartphone app so that you can not only buy your tickets on your app, you'll be able to order your concessions. Then when you arrive at the theater, uh, if you like, we'll deliver those products, those food and beverage products right to your seat for you. So you won't have to touch a thing. We're gonna bring the food and beverage right to you. And, and so once you've done touching your cell phone, you don't need to touch anything else whatsoever. So those are just some of the things that we're contemplating, but um, we, we need to have a little bit of time. Uh, hopefully the governors in Illinois and, and Michigan are gonna give us some advanced warning, let us know when we can open so we can uh, bring back our, our uh, workforce, get them trained and provide the, uh, the necessary um, protocols to them to ensure that our guests in fact uh, have the same level of comfort that I do. I want to follow up uh, just as we continue to turn to others. Uh, we had a couple of shout outs for you uh, from our guests. Uh, somebody, um, uh, Mary Argowal said, time to reopen the closed drive-in movie theaters. Um, so I, 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 we'll, just, we'll just offer that to the, to the ether and we'll hope that, that somehow that gets rewarded. I, I think drive-in theaters are great. Uh, and one of the things that you can probably do with a reasonable amount of social distancing Right. And another person who uh, wrote uh, a wonderful uh, uh, person for participating said, I cannot wait to return to Imagine Novi for my escapes and the cleanest seats in the business. <laughs> <laughs> and that he's glad that you're in the acquisition mode. And I will say that, Paul, you're, the seats in your, your theater, I, I do miss, I thought that going to the movies, it seemed like you had to have a sticky floor to walk across. It seemed like that was part of what you had to deal with, but it's good to, it's good to experience it in a new way with you. How about the others? Um, you know, Stephen made a very good point. Every business has to evolve and change. And if you look at, uh, you know, our business model going back to our first single screen theater in 1989 to where we are today, uh, there's they're nothing alike really, uh, other than showing pictures on a screen and, and uh, providing audio at the same time. You know, back in the old days, there was no computer in sight. There was, um, you know, people stood in line to buy, buy tickets out of a mechanical cash register and then stood in another queue for concessions. But, you know, we, we discovered very early on that, um, you know, the in-home experience was continuing to evolve and improve. And, and we didn't, um, th we weren't obtuse about that. We, we realized that we had to enhance the quality of the, the guest experience in order to bring people in. And that's something we'll continue to offer. You know, and relative to the future, I don't mind telling you that I'm, I'm an optimist. Just like, you know, if you go back and look at Dr. Fauci's forecast for the number of people who would suffer from uh, HIV and AIDS at this point in time, it, it's, he way overstated that back in 1986. And I'm optimistic that we'll find a way for people to once again congregate as they have in the past because 
being a social animal myself, I, I like to be around a lot of people. I, I think it's fun to go to a, a football game or a basketball game and, and be cheering for the home team. And so uh, I'm, uh, my, my view of the future is that uh, we will get, get back to right where we were. That's a, that's a really interesting thing. And uh, let me turn it to the others to, to have them to weigh in, particularly Linda and Richard, I, I think would, would be most germane there. How do you see things changing? Um, I, I think, you know, we are right. You, you have to adapt. Um, you know, for us, I, I, you know, we have so many different customers, you know, a different type of a grocery store from a large, you know, Costco type Kroger to, you know, the small mom and pop. And I'm, you know, my hope is that each one of those finds their niche in getting their customers back. Um, you know, we, we have products where we package them individually and then we have products where you might go to the deli and have it sliced. We don't know what's gonna happen. Um, luckily, some of the smaller stores, I think because they have, you know, the, you know, the staff, um, you know, maybe, you, you know, back in the old day, you went to the butcher shop and that's where you got your stuff. Maybe we're gonna go back to that time where, you know, you're not going to the one-stop shop to get everything. Um, you know, you're going to have that relationship with your store um, and you're going to go and, and get things depending on, you know, what it is you're looking for. Um, or, you know, we're going to adapt and we're going to prepackage it all, you know, so we're looking at all different options ourselves because, you know, it, it depends on what our customer is going to tell us that they want. Um, we'll have to be able to change, you know, as quickly as possible. Um, and then one follow-up question that came your way, uh, particularly besides those that were sending some well wishes, uh, one, one, uh, one of our, our parishioners said, any potential for meatless varieties coming? And I, of course, you do have incredible pierogies. I don't want to sound like uh, I'm plugging uh, Kowalski too much, but you do have pierogies. Uh, but, but I think they're asking about, you know, some, some kind of hunter sausage that would be with uh, Beyond Beef. Well, um, honestly, for us, I, I think there's, there's no vegans in the family. Um, so I, I think we're going to stick with um, the 100 year old recipe um, that the one of the things that, you know, we pride ourselves on is, you know, a lot of companies maybe do least cost formula change things. We don't do that. Um, I think that's why, like you said, that smoked kielbasa still tastes like the one that my great grandparents made and you know, maybe that's not what a lot of people like, but, um, you know, why mess with perfection if you don't have to? And that, that's really where we, we stick by the original recipe, um, make it the same way, you know, use fresh ingredients. Uh, you know, that, that's what we're going to stick to. Beautiful. Richard. I think we just have to get you off mute. There we go. Anyway, my business is, uh, and a lot of other manufacturing businesses deal with very expensive equipment. And uh, there used to be a lot of manual labor about it, which much of which is automated today, but it takes a special talent to run this. And I think some of the people that, uh, you know, rush to go to college and uh, get out of college with a history major or whatever 
it happens to be, can't find a job. Uh, there's a lot of vocation jobs that uh, pay way in excess of $100,000 a year, which is much more than many of the college students start for. Uh, and, and somehow we're going to get have to get some trade schools going. I mean, you can't get a diaper. Uh, uh, someone to run an expensive machine has to have an education that, uh, that certainly they have to uh, be a wizard on a iPad or a cell phone as a, it's just more and more and more, the automation is getting very, very technical. And it certainly bypassed me. But fortunately, uh, <laughs> a lot of people around that know what's going on. There's a lot of jobs that go begging because of no talent. Plumbers, uh, plumbers all make a lot of money today. Uh, and uh, anyway, that, that's, our issue at the moment. And so we just keep going to get more sophisticated, more robotics, more of this and more of that. And that's where the jobs are going. But we need people that can run the stuff. Yeah. And that's, and that's an incredibly important insight. You know, I, I moved here from Canada and um, one of the things that the Canadian system of education has is their community college system is not remedial. It actually is more vocational and technical. And so we actually found, and I was a university dean, we actually found that community colleges were taking our students and that often we would have someone graduate from our university with a BA and then their next step was to get um, an associate's degree at the community college in a vocational or technical area because that was their ticket to actually get a job and having the university help them to kind of aspire to management or to do other things beyond. But, but really actually the, 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 the community college was giving you transferable skills that were direct, immediate, and you could use. And we don't really have that. We do have, you know, Lawrence Tech, for example, that are, are, are basically like universities. They are universities uh, for all intents and purposes. But we don't have that other element in our education system that would actually give people the kind of skill sets that, that, that a place like WICO would need. Um, and and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Um, to pivot just a bit, um, one of, our, um, one of our, our, our participants has asked a really important question, Paula Miller, who's a, a priest downriver, I think. Um, and she, um, she asked that and noted that unemployment is at a critical high today. And I can add to that that recently there was reported that the current level of unemployment, and we realize this is furloughed and a lot of things are, are, are incentivized by, by state support and all that, but current unemployment in Detroit is at about 45%. And, um, and so she's asking the question, how many folks do you actually see your company rehiring? Um, will you be able to employ even more folks to help? We will have more employment uh, at the end of the third quarter uh, than we started with uh, back in March. Uh, uh, the employment, well, the jobs are all coming back around Detroit, the automotive jobs. I mean, our employment was down to what? Unemployment was down to 3%. Well, the, the need for those people, if the automobile companies and everybody else is up and running, the need is going to be there to, 
take it down again. I mean, I'm an optimist. Uh, I think the end of this year is going to be darn near back to normal. That's, that's wonderful. What do, other, what do others think? We're, we're also um, going to be hiring as well. So um, I, I, I agree. And, and to be honest with you, we've actually been doing interviewing, um, you know, recently, um, and we're very happily surprised at the turnout. So um, yeah, I, you know, I'm hoping I get some good people that are ready to work. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to double down on that uh, as well. So about the first week in April, we announced the hiring of a thousand new uh, employees. Um, and so we've, we never, never really stopped hiring uh, in the in the banking industry. And on the on the community side of the house, we actually also doubled down on our support for those organizations in the community who are helping to connect folks looking for jobs with folks who need workers uh, and helping to align the skill sets needed uh, in order to, for folks to obtain some of those jobs. And so I'm, I remain very optimistic as well that that number's gonna come crashing down back to the floor. Um, I don't know if I'm as optimistic as third quarter, but I'll take, I'll take his crystal ball on that. Um, and then, Stephen, you you support an organization, the Detroit Chamber of Commerce, that has actually um, an opportunity to support any. Is it, if, if you could say a little bit more about the the college opportunities. Well, I'm just thinking. I mean, the Detroit Chamber is the administrator and really runs the program for the Detroit Promise, which is intended to give anyone in the city of Detroit that can graduate from high school the opportunity to have free college. Um, starting primarily focused on the local community college network. Um, I'm, I'll put that link actually up online. I'll put it in the chat box, but you should take a look. I think it's a remarkable program and it needs to be part of the solution because as Dick said, just having a high school degree is not necessarily going to be the qualifications you need to get into even a manufacturing position, but the community college base, um, there's certification programs that are available through this. It's really got a wide variety and it's open to any resident of the city of Detroit. So I will put that online. Um, there are other programs involved at Community Foundation uh, for Southeast Michigan also have a number of programs that are really trying to prime local businesses, uh, small local businesses in the Detroit neighborhoods. Um, uh, that's another link I'll put online as well. I think people would find interesting and I think that's Part of the hope we need to have to get people back at all levels. Yeah, and let's I, not forget that Focus Hope is still out there doing uh, jobs training as well. That's particularly that's, in the manufacturing space. Yes, uh, yeah, and I one of the things I've done is visited their that vocational center that they had for manufacturing, which did uh, wonderful work. I'm going to start to move into some questions that we've only got about 15, so we should be able to get. Um, so uh, there, are, there are a couple here. Um, the this is a um, uh, this is for uh, Paul, um, and it's a it's a question about um, home streaming of uh, memberships through Imagine. Is that something that you've thought of as an evolution of your company that you would actually help recreate the Imagine experience at home? You know, it's a um, 
different licensing um, contract with the studios. We have done a little bit of it during this uh, shutdown period, but to be candid with you, I um, don't think it'll ever constitute uh, what I would call a bread and butter aspect of our business because ultimately what we want to offer our guests is an outer home experience. And so uh, I certainly understand that during this time period when we're sheltering at home and so forth, uh, you know, Netflix has increased uh, its patron, you know, its uh, subscriber base. And uh, I certainly can appreciate uh, how folks, uh, again, have enjoyed a better viewing experience at home of recent. I, I just don't think there's anything that beats a 94 foot long screen like, like we've got in Canton or a 92 foot wide screen like we've got in Novi. And uh, that um, immersive sound is, cannot be beat. So I, I guess, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with Linda. We're gonna stick to what we know best and uh, hope that folks are willing to come back out and congregate in public again. And, and just to step back for a moment before we go to some other um, uh, questions, Jason, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to hear from you is, is what, how banking is going to be affected uh, long range. Is there going to be some paradigm shifts in banking? One of the things you've identified and what you've said is there's been um, the banking industry seemed to have learned its lessons well from the last economic downturn. So it moved quicker to provide uh, support. And it was um, certainly, my experience is actually, uh, uh, some, many of the banks were able to, 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 to adjust to help people uh, get the PPP uh, through the SBA and, and to can continue to kind of stay afloat during this time. Um, but what are there, are there other paradigm shifts that are gonna happen in banking? Yeah, I think uh, I think we've been shifting uh, for a long time, as uh, a couple of our other panelists has have alluded to in their businesses. So, if you think about banking today, uh, compared to your mom's or either your grandmother or even your mom's banking experience, it is a lot different, right? You can, you know, on a regular basis. So I'm <laughs> what. I didn't share with you earlier, uh, Bill, but I'm a trustee at my church. Uh, and one of the things that we're doing is we're collecting tithes by having folks to mail their tithes into me. And I can deposit their tithes right into our bank account using my mobile device today, right? And so I'm not even having to go to the branch in order to deposit our members' tithe checks. And so I think we will continue to evolve in that space. Um, we're setting up, again, programs and, and, and processes to connect um, the small businesses in our communities uh, to the technology that might be available uh, for them as well. Because uh, I think one of the things that the pandemic has uh, uncovered for us are kind of some, some uh, the, the divides, if you will, right? Some folks were ready, ready for the PPP, right? Other folks, not so much. And we had to literally walk with them through that process to get them ready for that. And so um, one of our partnerships that we've set up with the uh, AEO, the Alliance for Economic uh, Opportunities, is this whole idea of providing technical support to those small businesses uh, that will allow them to get the type of uh, resources and the, the types of 
um, professionals on their team without having to pay, you know, market rates for it, if you will. Uh, and so I think, you know, that uh, in addition to what I talked about earlier, back to this whole idea of helping folks to connect with jobs. Uh, our partnership with Next Job is, is really helping to connect folks with uh, that next opportunity for them. So I, I, like I said earlier, I remain optimistic coming out of this thing. It's really helpful and it's, it's, um, it's so wonderful to see banks taking a proactive uh, uh, position with relation to these different um, uh, development opportunities. So I, it really is just a great thing. A um, couple of questions that have come in. Um, we have a, a, a question is how, how important is widespread at the ready testing to assure people of their safety in returning to work for a real uh, open up of economic activity? I'm just reading it directly as is. Um, and, and are those, are those uh, uh, technologies su such that you're gonna be uh, putting them in place in your companies? ASAP. Yeah. I mean, if they could get something that was like a pregnancy test, bro, all you got to do is dip something in a water and pull it out of you. Either got the body, <laughs> you got the thing, or you don't. Uh, I mean, wh whoever comes out with it is going to be very successful. But I mean, I, I'm sure I can speak for everybody. Can, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I think so. And uh, Linda and Paul, do you want to jump in? I would dearly love to have the type of testing that Richard just brought up because We seem to be running into slight little uh, uh, economic gremlins. Uh, <laughs> this I think it's already you, Linda. <laughs> Well, I think it would be much better to know than to have to do the questionnaire and the temperature checks every day. I mean, if, you know, I think that, you know, yeah, we, we need to know as quickly as we can know. Yeah, no, I, I think. And I think, I think that uh, uh, to, that, to that point, I think that will, for, the, for those people that are on the fence, I think that'll give them the confidence to be able to come back to, you know, come back into the, to the workplace as well without, you know, having the anxiety around, oh no, one of my co-workers might have it, right? And I know the city of Detroit has set up uh, a testing ground at the state fairgrounds where they're partnering with companies uh, to allow for that testing uh, live. I think what, what has to happen from here is the confidence in the testing itself, right? And so getting more getting more to, to more accurate results is really going to be a game changer for all of us. I think. And it taking a consistent amount of time to get the results as well. I mean, yeah, take two days, three days, seven days, 10 days. Yeah. And then, and then a follow up to that question has come in that, you know, how, how critical is the, is the timing of an effective vaccine to economic recovery? I don't, I, I mean, not, not I'm just a simple person, but it would seem like, that would be a real game changer. But um, uh, it seems like the, the general view that's being articulated here is you believe that economic recovery is gonna happen ahead of both of those innovations, uh, even before um, you, you have uh, a reliable, quick test. Uh, and even before we have a vaccine, 
you expect the economy to bounce back? I do to, to some extent. Um, my, ex my experience with uh, economic downturns, and there, there haven't been many, I'm a lot younger than I look, uh, well, you have is that, <laughs> is, right, is that um, I think we work our way through it, and by the time we realize that there has been a recovery, the recovery is all, we're already in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Um, the, uh, the other challenge without having vaccines in place um, is getting to see a Lions game is probably just not going to happen this year. Yes. That type right. of thing. So, I mean, and that has ripple impacts to the economy, particularly in Detroit. If you don't have Red Wings and Tigers and Lions, it's a, that's, a, that's a big deal. We have to work through it. It's just that one more of the unknowns. Well, and that's and that's a that's an important insight, uh, Stephen, because it seems to me that a lot of the recovery was pivoting around the establishment of entertainment, that kind of entertainment venue in the city. And so the restaurant, for example, the restaurant recovery in Detroit and the incredible ways in which we've become kind of a food uh, destination. There are people actually come to eat here just for, for that. That's going to be imperiled, it seems, if we're not having as many um, opportunities for going to the Lions or going to the to the Tigers or the Red Wings or or the Pistons. Um, it, it's going to be a good challenge. Although I don't think many people want to go to a dinner when the Lions are playing in town. But that's uh, true. Yeah, I think we'll be able to work around that one fairly well. The food scene, I hope, comes back. We got to get people back in hotels too, though. Yeah. I, th I think what they're going to do in the university is going to be in all the universities is also going to be something that we all have to watch, you know, getting the kids back to college um, is going to be an interesting part of how things are going to work as well. Um, you know, obviously, we think that that is an age group that they're really not as susceptible or, you know, the illness is not as great. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. You know, speaking as a mom of two girls going to college, their colleges are going back to college. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, they're, they're going to have everything laid out, how they're going to do it, what happens if they have to go back to not going, um, you know, and they're, they're laying it out very detailed. Yeah, I know. And that's going to be a nice bellwether of where things stand. And a final question that came along is that, you know, obviously, um, we are basically looking at this as a kind of single vector um, uh, have any of you uh, considered uh, the impact of second waves or um, the kinds of things in which we're going to be back almost to square one if there's uh, uh, other, other uh, breakouts of this pandemic? I think the good news that would hopefully vote against that is at least the nursing home concerns are there. I don't think that will have opened up. I, and I suspect just from some of the people I've talked to, they'll be wearing masks no matter what for a while. Um, I think the ability to tamp down the next wave is gonna be, be also something that everybody's looking for and ready to respond to almost immediately. So I, I, I certainly in my mind, I'm very hopeful that that's an unlikely circumstance to see it get out of control again. Anybody else? Um, okay, I'm going to be moving into some other questions here. 
what sweeping industry changes do you believe would or will or should be accelerated as a result of our forced new way of doing business? Uh, can this be addressed for each of your industries represented on the panel tonight? So is there something that you've seen that is gonna be an indication of major changes to come? Well, I'll be happy to address it uh, again, you know, and this may sound like, um, you know, I'm complacent or something along those lines, but um, I think there's a substantial part of our population that yearns for a return to normalcy. They'll want to uh, visit places of hospitality, which include travel to hotels, destinations, enjoy nights out at the movies and so forth. And um, as much as, again, there, there will be a part of our population that uh, perhaps is uncomfortable doing so, I think there will be a substantial uh, portion of our population that, that just can't wait to get out of this uh, morass of shutdown and, uh, and get back to uh, life as we knew it. Yeah, I think it's- and I would say, I would say, I think our, our nonprofit organizations and our nonprofit partners uh, has seen a, a tremendous shift in the way that they engage community. Um, that moving to this virtual, I don't, I think Zoom is here to stay uh, as well as WebEx and the other platforms that we've all seen in, and have used over the last couple months. Um, in, in the way that we provide financial education, counseling, um, uh, workforce development type programs, I think all of those, from what I've heard from, from our nonprofit partners, all of those things are here to stay. While, we, while they'll move back into the face-to-face, in-person gatherings, they're not letting go of this newfound uh, uh, connection vehicle. And I, think that, and I think that holds true for us in the banking industry as well. Hmm. Linda and Richard and... <coughs> Excuse me. Um... Yeah, I, I think that you're going to see, um, well, for us, I think we're going to keep a, you know, keep our unit as our unit, um, you know, without a lot of unnecessary visitors. I think that's going to be one of the, the biggest things for us, um, you know, to try and maintain your group. Um, I think training on all different levels for um, people is going to be extended in, in so many industries. Um, People need to know what clean and sanitize mean. Um, I think that's going to be a big thing that's going to help us move forward. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important for everybody is, you know, as you know, like I think Paul said, we're 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 people. We we're social. Um, we've got to get back to having interactions with people. Um, one of the things that I think isn't really addressed a lot right now is is how this is affecting you know people with mental illness or if depression is happening um, you know especially in you know like the older group that you know we're trying to protect them so much but you know they they want to see their family they they need just you know someone to sit down and have a meal with um, I think those are the things that we have to really be careful about going forward. Well, and I can say that just anecdotally, there's only so much time, as someone who cares for my parents, there's only so much time you can have someone shelter in place 
when they're in a small apartment uh, where it's not going to have an effect on their health, right? Because just sitting in place and not moving or not being able to do anything um, really, it, 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 it really, it, that, that, that is its own um, uh, problem. Richard, do you want to add something and maybe Stephen? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if any of you watch this space thing today, but it's just amazing how fast things change. Uh, the, the space outfits that these guys had on that were going up today compared to the old space thing that was big and bulky. Uh, uh, things are changing, and one of them is significant. I can remember it wasn't that long ago. If, if you had to have a, a group meeting, you had to get the video man in, you had to get this guy in, you had to get the electrician, you had to hope that things worked right. And now, I mean, I couldn't spell Zoom a month ago and I'm on it twice a day now. So it's changed things. Yeah, and, and likely- The museum had one, I'm sure you were on it, Steve, the other day. The, yep. the museum had one that was on, what, a Microsoft one. Yes. Teams works very well, there's a, several of them. Yeah. I mean, there probably, I mean, there probably will be competitors, things like that. We've got a couple of questions that I, I think are important for us to wrestle with, and I really want to bring them out, um, which is, um, you know, I, and this is from someone who prefers to be anonymous. Uh, I've heard, and I'm going to just give it to, um, uh, and it's, I think they're, they're two from the same person, but I'm, I think they're good questions. Uh, I have heard that working from home is less an option for people of color because of the jobs they do and their access to technology. Is there any way to help with this situation? And then as a kind of follow-up, and this is pointed towards um, uh, community development, how, how is it that your how is your business ensuring that the resources you're providing to restore individuals, families, and the community getting to where nope. they need to be? You went mute there for oh, 20 sorry. seconds. Sorry about that. That's our own, that was a technology thing. Or maybe I didn't, I don't know. No, it was you, it was you unfortunately, Richard. Jason. Yeah, so um, so there's required reporting for all of, all of the funding that we provide to organizations uh, in the community. Uh, it, in addition to that, we actually talk to the community uh, and make sure that the resources that we are providing that they are that it is reaching the um, the folks who we hope to hope to assist and so in a number of uh, instances we are actually in the room with the folks who we hope to uh, hope to assist and repeat your first question again well the first is basically how do we um, in terms of the uh, it's it's a, it's a, I, I'm just going to read the question because I I it wouldn't be quite how I would put it. Um, I've heard that working from home is less than an of an option for people of color because their jobs the jobs they do and their access to technology. Is there any way to help with this situation? So that's a good question. Um, and so one of the things that I know that is happening in specifically in Detroit right now, is that the school district uh, is working in collaboration with the city and a number of funders to ensure that the children in the community who are sheltered in place and not able to go to school right now uh, are provided access to technology. And, and the business community, a number of 
uh, players have come together in order to make sure that happens. Now it's the it's the twenty two million dollar uh, endeavor that that they've embarked on in order to make that happen. But I know that that's in place. And part of the conversation has been, you know, if the kids have access to this technology, uh, including the Wi-Fi access that that they would need to be able to uh, get their homework and, and schoolwork completed, then the parent parents would also have access to that same technology. And as I and I, as I speak to, or as I think about uh, my kids, uh, so we actually took advantage of our school district um, providing uh, technology devices uh, for the kids to use because when this all uh, uh, when this all came to a head, we were a couple of devices short, right? Imagine that with 10 kids. Uh, so so we actually took advantage of, of uh, getting those devices for our kids to use and have had some really interesting conversations around the house about how, you know, appropriate ways to use the technology and how to use the technology. I mean, heck, my, my preschooler, uh, and my kindergartner have probably as many Zoom meetings as I do, right? And so as we think about the community at large and uh, in providing access to technology, um, most people, many people have access to smartphones. And it's one of the things that we in the banking industry have, have seen uh, as kind of a misnomer out there that regardless of the community that people live in, they're still accessing their banking, uh, their, their banking uh, resources used, utilizing the, the smart technologies. I'm talking iPhones, the smartphones, uh, sure. things of that nature. There's another the part of the other question in there was about getting people transportation. I think that was one of the challenges we had before this ever occurred. That having a regional public transportation system for Detroit is something the city and um, Wayne, Oakland, Macomb County, um, I know from the chamber's experience trying to promote this is something we really see as a, as a need. Um, that hasn't changed. We, yeah. We've got appropriate public transportation because not everyone's gonna be able to work from home no matter what. I, you know, I'm so glad you raised that, Stephen, because I think that that's, uh, that's obviously key. And I, you know, I, I cannot help but to think about the sacrifice that so many bus drivers um, have made uh, just to make sure everybody gets to their work safely. Um, and, and some sacrifices even with their lives. And, and, um, and I think having some kind of system of public transportation is going to be um, absolutely key. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the things that I am consider myself blessed to be uh, here uh, part of the city now is when the queue line got started. And, you know, if you talk to people in Detroit, they're like, oh, it should have been much better and it was too short and no one's going to get on it. It's going to be like the people mover all over again. Um, well, that's actually far from the truth. I'll never mm. forget, like the number of people who still use that to get up and down that quarter is just an indicator of what could be the case if we actually had um, good transportation that was uh, throughout the, the Metro Detroit region and what that would do for us uh, financially. Um, you know, and again, I don't want to, I, I keep in mind, I'm just a simple person, but um, I know that one of the reasons why Amazon did not consider us in the second round is because 
that transportation wasn't being uh, wasn't what they needed for the for the for the the kind of plant that they wanted to put in place. So um, that's a that's a really key thing and might be. Yeah, a I think. Yeah, and I think in the short term, public transportation and folks actually engaging with it is going to be a challenge. Uh, but long term, it's definitely something that's uh, desperately needed in our community. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just to add to a couple of things. Uh, there are there's a couple of questions that I want to come to. I see that Paul handled beautifully a question by someone about the cleanliness of the food and the the safety standards you're putting in place. And I know uh, just for the um, I know that Linda, you have incredible safety standards for your product as well. And um, just getting it out of the package was uh, I felt like I was hunting down the animal itself. I mean, it was quite something, but the, um, uh, uh, so I think we've handled that well. I think there are a couple of questions here that are key uh, to conclude with, which is that what's amazing about each of you is each of you are in areas that required a lot of uh, nimbleness and you all were staying ahead of the game remarkably. And the question that has is how would you, what kind of tips would you offer to other industries about how to how to turn on a dime uh, like you all managed to do? I think the key to any successful adaptation like that is communications. You yeah. have to be able to not only change the direction that you're heading, but if you're gonna be a leader, you gotta make sure somebody's strong and changing direction with you. So they need to understand it. It's a big challenge, just communications every day, every minute. Yeah, and I think you have to be bold and willing to take a risk, uh, making sure that you are listening to the, the thought processes and the needs of the folks that you are, that you are looking to, uh, to assist. I agree with Jason. I think it's an intense focus on the customer's needs, expectations, and wants. And I think there's a lot to be learned by looking at similar industries or even disparate industries. So when you look at Disney, for example, they're a great role model for, you know, their theme parks for how we operate our venues. And on the, on the topic of sanitation, I I'd simply on a self-serving basis would like to tell you that other than the Palladium where we took over an existing theater, there's not a single imagined theater that has doors on the restrooms. Now there's a reason for that because we're all encouraging people to wash their hands these days. I was, unhappy with people who didn't wash their hands going back to 1996. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I think communication is, is the key to being able to, you know, move forward. Um, you, you know, there's, a, there's so many resources for you to get information. Um, you know, I, you know, we're inspected by the, you know, the USDA. So, you know, we have the government on site every day. So, you know, we're in constant communication with them. Um, you know, luckily, you know, we have our own quality control department. So they have direct access to any information that we need to get. You know, we meet as a group, we talk about what we're gonna do and then we gotta filter it down. That's a neat point. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think Richard, we're having a, Richard, are you there? Yeah, I am now, but Great. I don't know what happened. Just a, just a, uh-oh. <laughs> go, go ahead, Richard. Well, I, I, I missed a question. 
Oh, just what tips can you offer to stay adaptive and, and mobile and nimble in these times for others? Well, for me, it's to hire people smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, what it is for others, I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, and that's always, uh, that's an incredible, actually, that's, a, that's an elegant uh, reasoning, right? Because no one's going to confuse you with not being smart, but having great people. I can certainly attest to looking at my staff and clergy, I could not do it without them. And, and, and so I've tried to follow your lead. Um, and um, I would want to say as well, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think we can answer, um, you know, a question that has come up is, how do nonprofits, churches, and private schools who depend on seasonal uh, fundraisers and large events survive this time? And now this is drawing from the fact that I think almost all of you are, have had leadership um, with nonprofits, all of us do, and all of us are seeing a major part of, uh, of their revenue coming from galas are gonna be probably missing or asked to be deferred for this time. So I actually would be interested in what, what you all are saying this as, as kind of your philanthropic leadership. I know I'm involved with several nonprofits in the community and I, I can assure you there is not one of them that expects to come anywhere near a balanced budget for this year with the way things have turned out. So. Um, I think they're going to have to get very creative and, and manage what they're doing. And I think you'll be getting a lot more calls from local charities that need support. Um, it's a critical piece that underpins a lot of our community. Uh, and I do think it, it is one that hasn't been talked about as much, but it's been very stressed and will continue to be for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, some help to that, Steve. It'd be, there's a lot of people out there that could be uh, that have the uh, wealth to participate that don't. And uh, I don't know how, how we get them to do it, but uh, certainly nobody is, uh, we aren't all on the same level. Uh, some are pennies, some are nickels, some are dimes, some are $100 bills. But there's a lot of people that have some money out there that for some reason aren't getting into this, um, these kind of charities. Mm. Jason and Paul and Linda. Yeah, I was going to say, so to keep uh, one of the, I think one of the, um, that's probably the $10 million question in the nonprofit community today as, you know, all of the galas have been canceled pretty much for the foreseeable future, right? And so uh, the organizations that I work with primarily primarily are looking at different ways, um, again, using virtual tools uh, to provide uh, access to their services, their resources, and then uh, using, using the, the impacts that they're creating from that in order to tell the story to continue to raise money. Um, it's gonna be a slow, hard climb uh, out of that, but I think uh, I think those who are creative and agile um, will certainly see their way through it. Mm. Paul and Linda. Yeah, you've seen so many um, individuals step forward, you know, especially for frontline workers, um, and I, you know, and obviously that's been very important. And you know, we can see what one individual in a lot of cases can do. So, you know, my hope is that you know, we can, 
you know, like you said, to some of these other organizations that right now are really going to have a tough time that, you know, people can, can see that they've been doing a lot of good. We still need them. Um, we still need them to, you know, flourish in our community. So, you know, I, I, I hope that we can get back to, you know, doing some kind of an event for them. But yeah, I think that that's, that is probably one of the hardest things right now for them to do is, you know, what, what's another avenue that I can go through to, to get the money that we need to continue. And Paul. Well, I, I've been advising the charities that I continue to serve that uh, they look at their budgets very carefully and consider belt tightening to take into consideration the circumstances we're under. Uh, I would uh, also respectfully submit that the, uh, the proliferation of small charities perhaps will be uh, curtailed by this circumstance. And, and I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing per se. I think that uh, charities that, that pop up and, and candidly don't have the economic wherewithal to create value greater than their cost, perhaps, uh, perhaps this is the, uh, the seminal moment for them and, and that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. I think the basic need charities, uh, gleaners, forgotten harvest, folks like that are gonna be just fine. Uh, I feel badly for the, uh, for the hospital systems who've lost a lot of money treating COVID patients. And, and I don't know how they're going to candidly uh, recoup those sums, but uh, hopefully they had plenty of reserves to begin with. So they'll be in a position to withstand this. You know, and I, I just, uh, I feel like I can weigh in because this is something I have to do a lot of. And, you know, the, the challenge right now is the, the return on investment for galas was never very good, right? They, they're incredibly costly ways to raise money. And uh, so I think it was already a fragile system in the nonprofit industry that 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 um and then if you're like anybody who gives anything to anything in this town you are at galas every week every other you know almost every you're you're out all the time and 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 i would pay to stay away from a gala you know at this Try point daily it's so exhausting it really is right and the food is not that great no matter what no matter what they do um you know and so uh, and then you're, you know, you want to basically go home and be with your family and relax and, and uh, take off your tie or collar or whatever. And so I think, um, I think actually galas are in the process of phasing out of fundraising. Um, I think at the next, uh, the next generation of fundraising for nonprofits are going to be focused opportunities to raise friends as well as funds. And they're going to have to go on throughout the year. They can't just simply rely on one event to somehow bring in, you know, 30% of their operating revenue. Um, and and uh, that's going to just, that's just going to change. Uh, and that will have ancillary effects on, 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 on places that host these events and things like that. Um, I want to, we are at a point where we have to change, we have to stop. I want to thank everybody who has been here. Um, all of the um, all of the wonderful uh, what I what I've taken from this incredible panel is that we have a lot of reason to to be hopeful uh, that we're going to get through this. And I have to tell you that's uh, an incredible thing for me to hear tonight. Um, and I know that I speak for many of the people who are here that that's an incredible thing. Um, I am going to close this with a a, a prayer, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, if that's okay. And uh, so in our tradition, I say, the Lord be with you. And, um, and I say, let us pray. And I say this, 
Thank you, dear God, for the wonderful gift of these uh, panelists and for all the work that they do. We thank you for the employees that work at their companies or are connected to the work that they do, um, for the many industries that they support, for the nonprofits that they support, the charities that they support, and for the clients of those charities and nonprofits. We lift up before you all workers and we ask that they would find meaningful and profitable ways to work for a living. And we ask that you would lift them up uh, each day as they make their way during this time of pandemic. And we lift up for you anybody who is facing economic insecurity, anybody who is out of work, anybody who is fearful, anybody who is worried about being evicted when the shelter in place ends, uh, anybody who feels stretched, anybody who feels anxious, we ask that you'd bless them tonight in a powerful way. And we ask that you would um, also bless anybody who is sick or those who uh, have died and their families and their caregivers. Bless all those uh, workers who are essential, who have had to take on risks to themselves uh, and to their families um, and to, to make sure that um, we keep safe. We give you thanks for their dedication and their sacrifice. We know that their lives are precious in your eyes and that they are, uh, need, or they are um, pivotal uh, people in ours. And so we give thanks for them and we ask that you'd continue to open our eyes to the injustices in this world. We ask that you'd watch out uh, for this city and bless this city. We place um, this beautiful city, Detroit, in your hands and we place all of our businesses in your hands and we ask you to bless us and keep us safe and help us to thrive um, through, through your spirit. These things we ask in your mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. I really appreciate it. Um, and um, uh, panelists, you'll note there's a meeting link that we'll just do a quick debrief. So thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you all. Yeah, it's nice to be part of it. You know, the nice thing is, somehow we all got through this without any hint of politics. I know that was a that was a feat in and of itself. Yes, thank you. <laughs>